So we are in Romans 15. Romans 15. If you're not there already in your copy of God's Word, turn there. We're looking at verses 14 through 33. If you don't have a Bible, I'd invite you to grab one of those blue Bibles, possibly located underneath the seat around you, and turn in that Bible to page 949, and that will bring you uh, to our text this morning. So for whatever reason, the clock up here is not working, so give me a second here. That's dangerous for you folks, uh, as you know I'm bad about time, so hopefully I can keep track here. Okay. We are in the conclusion, this is part two, and we're actually going to do another part to this message. We are basically in the conclusion of Romans. In other words, the teaching portion, this is just something I mentioned last week, the teaching portion of Romans ended with uh, chapter 15, verse 13. And so, but as I told you last week, there are still some good and helpful lessons that we can learn or draw out of Paul's closing remarks here at the end. It's almost like a, you know, the movie's over, you know, the, the movie, you watch it, but sometimes they'll throw some, uh, everyone's waiting around, they'll throw some uh, clips at the very end in, in the credits or something. It's like that. There's still some good, uh, helpful clips that we can watch, so stick around, don't write off the rest. There's some stuff here that we can, we can learn that will be helpful to us, and, and so that's what we're doing. And so I'm just going to read the section in its entirety, and just for context, so you can get the flow, and then we'll come back, and again, we're just looking at a few verses, a few things, really key things in this section, and we've only gone through one. I'll review that a little bit, and then we're going to look at two more this morning. So if you would, let your eyes glance down to verse 14 and just follow along as I read from God's Word this morning. The Apostle Paul writes this, I myself am satisfied about you, he's talking to the church in Rome, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience." by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way to Illyricum I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints of Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. 
I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Amen. So uh, last week, we really just kind of looked at verse 14, and uh, we talked about a few things here. And this is just a quick reminder. There, Paul, uh, speaking to the church in Rome, says that they are full of goodness. Full of goodness. You might remember that means uprightness. Uh, Uprightness. They're filled with all knowledge, and that they're able to instruct one another, teach one another, admonish one another. Overall, then, the church in Rome, to whom Paul is writing, uh, though not sinless, though not perfect, and though they had some problems, which uh, Paul had addressed in the letter and had just got through addressing a a substantial problem in chapter 14 and halfway through chapter 15, and did speak quite boldly to them on some points concerning how they were treating one another concerning Christian liberties, Uh, although they weren't perfect, although they had some issues, they were a church, Paul says, basically, that, that were marked by, characterized by moral virtue full of goodness. They had a, a good grasp of uh, biblical truth, a comprehensive understanding of the Christian faith, and they were competent, uh, able to instruct one another, and Paul was careful to commend them for those things. And, and so I, I told you last week that as we looked at that, some folks were, uh, some folks, some scholars who have looked at what Paul does there were kind of confused because he comes off of kind of speaking pretty seriously to them and, and even admonishing them in, in the previous chapter. And then all of a sudden, oh, by the way, you know, you're, you're really good. You're, you're full of goodness and you're, uh, you're really, you, know, you understand the Christian faith. You're able to instruct one another. And, and some of them uh, thought of it or, or considered it to be kind of like an, an apology by Paul or even a, a way of trying to, in a sense, butter them up a little bit, uh, since he knows he's going to have to come there soon and see them, and he, he doesn't, maybe he's spoken, maybe he's concerned that he's spoken too seriously to them, and remember, just historically, he didn't plant this church, he didn't start this church, he's never even visited it. So most of these folks, most of them, don't even know the Apostle Paul personally. They might know of him because there were some folks in the church that did know the Apostle Paul through their travels and having met Paul before, but I I don't think any of that's right. I I think Paul, and this is the lesson that we drew out of that, as we see in his other epistles, was a man that was fair and balanced. He was fair and balanced, and that was kind of the lesson we, we were taking from it, that although he was bold and would address issues or sin or problems in the church, and he would speak directly to it, and he pulled no punches. He, at the same time, was a balanced man, and he looked for those areas in in the church's life or in a person's life where God's grace was at work and good things were happening, and he commented on that as well. He commended that. And so just remembering that in our uh, ministries or in our relationships that 
we need to be careful that we don't get out of balance because often that's exactly what we do. And typically, we tend to lean towards the critical side. So forgetting the fact that is there anything good that God is doing in this person's life? Can I see that? And also taking the time to comment on that and to point that out. You with me? And so we just got to be careful. We, gotta, we need to be fair and balanced. Yes, we need to address the problems that we might see in our children's lives or in our friends' lives or in others' lives. We need to do that, not because we're superior to them, but because we love them and we don't want them to continue to walk in sin or to, to maybe go off the wrong path and get into trouble and fall into a ditch. Okay, So we need to say something, but at the same time, We need to be looking and keep our eyes open to the good stuff that God has done in their life and and the um, advancements that they have made in the faith. And then take some time to point that out. And I think that's what Paul does. If you remember in the beginning of the uh, introduction, he says, man, you guys, your faith goes out into the end. I know of your faith. It's it's spreading throughout the entire world. You, You guys are serious about the Lord Jesus Christ. You're making his name known. You know, he starts that way. And then we have the letter with all of its glories and the gospel and some admin, you know, an admonition from Paul and, and some exhorting from Paul. But as he's now bringing it to a close, he closes before he gets to these final closing remarks. Right, He begins them with, and I just want you to know, I myself am convinced that you're a mature church. You're solid, okay? I want you to know that. You know, someone, uh, I don't think this is what Paul was doing, but someone said, you know, when you... Um, told me once, it was in the secular workforce, he said, if you need to, if you need to uh, admonish someone or exhort them, he said, uh, he called it the hamburger. And he said, the admonition or the exhortation is the meat in the middle. But the buns should be encouragement on both sides or, or something that they're doing good. It's kind of like that's what Paul did. He begins with, hey, you guys are solid. All right, so let me talk to you about some stuff. All right, I'm going to be serious with you here. All right, you shouldn't be doing that. All right, you shouldn't be acting that way. But by the way, let me close with, you guys are solid. You know, I just want to remind you, I think that's a good approach. But again, this wasn't made up. Paul isn't just uh, uh, saying things to say things. He's not a politician. He's not that. He's a man of God. And uh, he speaks the truth, wherever that truth is, you know, whether it be, all right, these are the good things or these are the bad things, I'm going to tell you either way. So anyway, simple. It's just simple. It's not like earth-shattering truth, but it's just something that uh, can have a significant impact in your relationships with those you love, if you can remember that. Fair and balanced. Fair and balanced. That's what Paul was. All right. And the second lesson, here's another one, not earth-shattering, but uh, good nonetheless, I think, is that Paul reminded the church of truths that they had heard before. Paul reminded the church of truths that they had heard before. Look back at the text, Romans 15, 15. After 14, he says, but on some points, we're having little technical difficulties, but look in your word if you have it there. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly. What's it say in the English Standard Version? What's it say? By way of reminder. Okay, so a couple other translations. The New American Standard Bible says, but I've written uh, very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again. And then the, uh, another translation puts it this way, I've written to you very boldly about some things. I wanted you to think about them again. All right, they're, all, they're all saying the same thing, just sometimes that's helpful. 
One commentator points out that the apostles, including the Apostle Paul, they attach great importance to uh, what he calls their reminding ministry. Their reminding ministry. And you see that. This is not the only place where you see these kind of, this kind of language or them talking about having to remind them of something. We kind of see it throughout the epistles. So, for instance, just to give you an example, in 1 Corinthians 15.1, the Apostle Paul says, Now, brothers, I want to not tell you for the first time, but remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, <laughs> and on which you had taken your stand. And why was he doing that? Well, in the context, right, there were some in the church that were beginning to say there is no resurrection of the dead. And so Paul goes, uh, hello, hello, and he goes on to talk about, you remember Jesus Christ, the resurrected one? If there's no resurrection of the dead, folks, then Christ himself is not resurrected. And if Christ himself is not resurrected, then your faith is in vain. So he, he stops and says, listen, hello, let me remind you. Remember that? The gospel that I, I gave to you, you believed, and in which you are standing. You have your standing before God. So again, just reminding them of what they already know. You get me? Simple, right? Uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Again, the Apostle Paul says, It's no trouble for me to write about some important matters to you again. Again. I don't have any problem. I'm going to do that. And it's no trouble for me to do that. If you know about them, you will have a safe path to follow. So even there, Paul's just addressing some things. He wants them. He's going to tell them. He's already told them, but they're aware of it, but they need to hear it one more time so that they might avoid some dangers, potentially dangers from false teachers in that particular context in the church, or trying to uh, penetrate the church. How about the Apostle Peter? You guys might remember this one, uh, or have heard it before. Second Peter uh, chapter 1. So here you see the Apostle Peter doing something that the Apostle Paul does as well. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Always, though you know them, though you know them, and are established in the truth that you have. Now, what qualities was, uh, was the Peter talking about? Well, it's the ones that he, he just mentioned in the verses prior to this, in verses 5 through 7, qualities like virtue and self-control and, and steadfastness and brotherly affection, um, those things. And he goes on to say, I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, and, and that he's just, he knows that his death is soon because of the historical situation that's going on. He knows he's, he's about to be killed pretty soon because of his faith. So he says, listen, I think it is right as long as I'm basically still alive, if I still got a voice here and I can speak to you to stir you up by way of reminder. I'm going to tell you again what I've already told you. I'm going to keep doing it. As long as I have breath and life, I'm going to keep doing it. You with me? Okay, so that's the Apostle Peter. Another translation of verse 12 says, so I will always remind you of these things. Always. I'll do it even though you know them. I'll do it even though you now have a deep, have deep roots in the truth. Paul, or the Apostle Peter, later on in that same letter, says this. And remember, he wrote 1 Peter, 2 Peter. He says, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Okay? Beloved, the church in Rome was uh, a mature church, okay, right? We know that because of what Paul tells us in Romans. We've already covered that. We see that in 1514. We see that in chapter 1, verse 8, where, as I said, it says your faith is proclaimed in all the world. 
But even, and that's, that's, I'm pointing that out because that tells you that even mature Christians need to be regularly reminded of the truths of their faith. You see, not an earth-shattering lesson here, but I still think one that's important. Even mature Christians need to be reminded of the truths of their faith. Hey, why do you read the Bible over and over again? Now, maybe some of you don't. And let me now strongly encourage you to do that very thing, to develop a plan, to get a plan. There's a thousand of them out there, so you don't have to create one that will take you through the Bible in a year, in six months, in 90 days, if you're really ambitious. Uh, but, you know, we, we promote the year-long program because we think anybody could do it. Anybody. 15 minutes a day, you can read through the Bible. But why do that? Why read through it over and over and over again? Listen, I've already read the story of Genesis. I, I already know about the Exodus. I already read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Why would I read them again? Why do you think, beloved? Why do you think? Well, in doing that, we are reminded of those things that are going to help us live for the glory of God. Okay? Uh, They're going to help us stay or get back on track as we're reminded again and again of those truths. Truths that we find in Genesis and Exodus. Truths that we find throughout the full counsel of God in those 66 books that we call the Bible. Truths that will convict us of our sin. Truths we may know, but we need to hear again. Truths, beloved, that will strengthen our weary souls as we take this long journey through this life on our way to heaven. Right? We need to hear them again and again. No? Yeah. You need to. See, if you, if you don't think you need to, let me just say, you're wrong. You're wrong um, and I say that in love because I'm telling you, you do need to hear them again and again. That's evident by the fact that the apostles themselves were adamant about telling them the same thing over and over. It was no problem for them. In fact, as long as I have breath and life, I'm going to stir you up by way of reminder of what we've already, we've laid down the foundational truths and now we're just going to keep taking it back there again and again because you need to hear them. You need to hear them. Because you are a forgetful lot. Uh, One writer says, Even for the best of minds, with the sincerest devotion, that which is not kept familiar eventually will be forgotten. Huh? Another writer commenting on verse 15 says this, Paul did not write to them because there was much revelation of which they were ignorant, but because they, like ourselves, were inclined to forget those truths so essential to practical Christian living. And then he goes on to say, there's a real lesson here for many of us who are forever desiring to be taught some new truth when God is concerned with our application of what we have previously learned. You get what he's saying? You get what he's getting after? Uh, Ladies, you did a study before you did this study called Idols of the Heart. You know what I would encourage you to do? To pick the book back up and to review again what you learned. 
And when you're done, you know what I would encourage you to do? To pick the book back up and review again what you learned. Or, or even now, you're, you're going through a, a book called Glimpses of Grace. How about reviewing the chapters that you have already covered? Not a lot, I think. Five, five chapters. Reviewing, going back to those truths. Think about the men. I'm going I'm to I'm tell you why in a second. Think about the men, right? We did a book a while back before this one, Disciplines of a Godly Man, called Bite and Devour. Bite and Devour. Men, how many of you did that book? Now, don't answer this question. How many of you have looked at it since we finished it? Don't answer. It's okay. And, and I'm going to encourage you to, to go back. Listen. I looked at the book again, just for my own, my own sake. I'm saying, you know what? Okay, Jeremy, you do this as well. You're going to tell them to do it. You better do it, all right? So the book is called Bite and Devour, and then under it's called Biblical Principles for Handling Conflict. And so the chapter headings are, are these. Act in the spirit. Act in love. Act in humility. Control the anger, the tongue. Control criticism pursue reconciliation, pursue peace. Those are the chapter headings of that book. Now, let me ask you something. If our men were doing that on a regular basis, huh? do you know how much better off the marriages of this church would be? Do you know how much better our relationships would be? Do you know how much a better witness for Christ you would be, men? In your workplace, in your communities, in your neighborhoods, if you would only just go back and review again and obey (laughs) what you've already learned. This, This is what I find, that Christians often, often keep looking for something. Like, I'm okay, I'm waiting for that right book or that right sermon, uh, then I'll be able to like get there on this plateau that I'm searching for, or then I'll be able to overcome uh, this problem that I have or achieve something greater in my marriage or in my relationships. No, no, yo, no, you won't. What you need to do, what you need to do is you probably, in many cases, now if you're brand new to the Christian faith, you don't know a lot. You know the gospel, and that is a lot. But you don't know a lot about the Christian faith, okay? And so you need to grow, you need to learn. But some of you folks, you've been in this game for a while, and you do know a lot. You've heard a lot. You don't need necessarily more and more and more. You need to keep growing. Don't get me wrong. But what would be really effective and powerful if you would just go back and remind yourself of the truths that you've already picked up along the way and then live by them? Seriously, <laughs> we, we were in, wow, oh, that clock's not right, good, okay, we were in, um, I got really scared, disciplines of a godly man, that's where we are now, this is what I want to tell, we're in disciplines of a godly man, and uh, I was a little disheartened, because the last um, time together, we have about as half as many men as the women do. That sounds weird. Okay, there are the women, the women Bible study, they got twice as many people as the men's Bible study, okay? Um, and so a lot of men were missing. 
And I, sometimes men, because they, they work, they can't be there, I get it, I get it. But if you could have been there and you're not there, or you're normally there and you weren't there, and, and you had no good reason, you weren't sick or dying or something like that, uh, you should have been there, you should have been there. And so, like, for and I was just thinking, I was, this, we covered a passage, we, we covered Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. This, uh, this is a very popular passage. In other words, if you're in Christianity for any period of time, you've probably heard this, you've, you've been around it. And here we are, we're again now looking at it again in this book called Disciplines of a Godly Man. And it goes like this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's the passage, okay? This is a review of what we covered. I want to read it to you, and, and this, is what, this is what I'm trying to explain to you. This is probably not new information for a lot of Christian men. It might be, great, but for a lot of us, we've probably heard something like this before. So let me read it. So he says, so the discipline of perseverance, he's, it's the chapters about perseverance, confronts us to then to divest, that's to throw off. We must throw off, according to this passage, every besetting sin, those sins that hold tightly to us, those sins whose crimson-tipped fingers so easily entangle us. Our besetting sins are unique to us. They may not tempt others, but they slay us as we drink their seeming sweetness. Probing deeper, we must cast off everything that hinders us, even the good things. If we don't, we'll never run as we ought. Are you willing to do some radical divesting? Okay, that's the question. Then he says, we must run. Then we must run our own race, the race God has marked out for us. Your race is not my race, and my race is not yours. You can finish your race. It is God's will, and he will give you the grit to persevere as you run. So run, my brother, run. Focus. We must focus on Jesus. There must be no distracted glances. Jesus must cover the sky. He must be our center, and we must focus on his focus and his joy because it is our joy. His joy set before us will give us the power to endure even despising the world's disdain. Consider. So we are to consider him. Our life is to be spent considering how he lived. We are to run like Jesus did, completely divested. We are to run with him. We are to run toward him. We are to fix our eyes on him. We are to focus on his focus. He is to be our perpetual consideration. He has a race for us to run, and we can do it as we lean on him. Now, that was just a... a, a summary of the section. Now, I don't know about you, but beloved, I know every single one of those things, but I cannot tell you how important it is for me to hear it again and again and again and again. I need it. I need it in a bad way. I need to be reminded of every single one of those things, and so do you. So do you. I don't care how far along you are in the faith. I don't even care if you've read the book before. You should be there so you can be with us, if you can, if you can, and ladies, with the women, so that you can be reminded, or sometimes it might be new to you, but in many cases, you're being reminded of the same truths again and again, because you need it. I need it. You with me? 
It's just like the gospel, beloved. We're, we need to be, what do we talk about? Preach the gospel to yourself? Huh? Why? Why would you rehearse to yourself the truths of the gospel over and over again? Why would you do that? Because this world is hard, it's difficult, and it's those truths that are going to enable you to persevere, to stay the course, to live for Christ with joy, to have a peace when there seems like there is no peace. We need it. We need to hear it again and again. And so I would say this, by implication then, we need to be reminding each other of those truths. So not only do, how are we going to hear it otherwise? Huh? We need to be reminding each other of the truths of God's word. Those truths, that that's what we should be speaking into one another's lives. Not just, did you forget again to take out the trash? Not just that. We need that reminder, I guess, as well, because the trash stinks. You know what I'm saying? But we need to be reminded of these things. These are the things that really make a difference in our life. So just a thought for you. Think about how much of your day or week is spent, A, reviewing the truths that you know concerning the Word of God, those important truths that will help you live for Him and for His glory, but B, reminding your spouse, your children, your brothers and sisters in Christ about those truths. Huh? Like I see some of you, you're, you put like uh, scriptures up all over your house. That's awesome. Why would someone do that? Huh? Yeah, so you can go by, oh, I've already read that verse. I don't need to read it again. No, so that every time you walk by, you're reminded again one more time of that important truth, Right? All right, that's a good thing to do, but let you also verbalize that truth to one another. And when your brothers and sisters are hurting, if you're one who is reviewing those truths again and again, guess what you'll have plenty of to share? The truths of God's word with your brother and sister in that moment and remind them. Much of ministry, honestly, for the shepherds of the church is a reminding ministry. We're like, hey, brother, sister, remember what the word of God says? Yes, I remember. Thank you for sharing that again. Huh? We need to help each other out in this way. Oh, good. All right. Third lesson, okay? So Paul's fair and balanced. He, he also, second lesson, he, he takes the time to remind the church of what they already know, and, and we should engage in that way. We should be reviewing what we already know. We should be reminding one another of what we already know in the Word of God. We need it. It's helpful. We're forgetful. So let's do that. Let's put that into practice. Third, Paul did not take glory or credit for his ministry, but gave credit to whom credit was rightly due. And we're gonna, we'll close with this one. Well, I'm not closing it, but we'll finish with this one because this one's good to close on. Now I'm drawing this third lesson from what Paul says in verses 17 and 18. So let's look back at that now. There it's written. In Christ Jesus, in the English Standard Version, in Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. Now, that's how the English Standard Version translates it. I want to show you just a few technical things here and then we'll get into the meat of it. Uh, This is how the New American Standard Bible, another excellent translation, translates verses 17 and 18. It does it this way. Therefore, you'll notice a little difference. In Christ Jesus, 
I have found reason for boasting. It's actually a more literal translation. Reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. In things pertaining to God. That is a literal translation of the Greek. Now the things here, just to note, the things here, these things pertaining to God, I would understand it to be, as one scholar also says, looking back to verse 16 or Paul's work for God, as the ESV translates it. It takes that phrase, it's a unique Greek phrase, and translates it, the ESV translates it, work for God. Uh, The NIV translates it, Paul's service to God, things pertaining to God. But I believe it's looking back to verse 16, those things. We'll get to that in a second. And then it goes on to say, For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles. Now, the first part of verse 17, it reads, just so you know, literally like this in the Greek. In the original language that this was written in, it reads like this. And then we... English translators or whoever's trying to translate a Spanish, whatever, they look at the Greek and they try their best to put it into our language in a way that makes sense and is helpful, okay? But it, it literally reads like this, I have, therefore, boasting. Don't put that up. That's not it yet. I have, please, I have, therefore, boasting or this boasting in Christ Jesus, That's literally how verse 17 reads. I have therefore boasting or this boasting in Christ Jesus. So verse 17 could also be translated this way, and this is how one scholar does it. It's this way. It's like this. Therefore, now it's ready. I have this boasting in Christ Jesus with respect to the things of God. With respect to the things of God. The this translates a definite article that is there in some manuscripts. So uh, you could say, I have, I have the boast or this boasting. I have this boasting in Christ Jesus with respect to the things of God, which the ESV translates my work for God, the NIV, my service to God. Okay? All right, I said all that to say this. After carefully studying the passage, my conclusion is, is that Paul's boast or boasting in verse 17 about the things pertaining to God, or Paul's service to God, as we've already talked about, the NIV translates it, is actually referring back to what Paul said in verse 16. In verse 16. In other words, I have this boasting. What boasting? The boasting that I was just doing in verse 16. All right? So as a reminder, let's read verse 16. Again, this is where Paul, to set it up, in defense of his boldness on some points in his letter to the church in Rome, remember, it was a predominantly Gentile church that he neither started nor had visited, he now draws attention in defense of his boldness to his special vocation given to him by God's grace alone to be the apostle to the Gentiles. So in verse 15, he says, I have written to you very boldly because of the grace given to me by God, then verse 16, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles, he's offering them up to God, may be acceptable 
sanctified by the Holy Spirit. That's Paul's boast. But Paul's boast or boasting in verse 16 concerning his special work for God was not Paul boasting in himself or in his own human achievements. Not at all. Not at all. But rather it was Paul boasting in or glorying in Christ Jesus and what he had done through him, Paul. He's a minister of Christ Jesus. So one writer says, commenting on verse 17, just puts it this way. This is Paul, basically. This is paraphrased. This boasting I do, that he just did, in claiming so central a role in God's purposes for the Gentiles is perfectly legitimate, for it is a boasting in Christ Jesus. Remember, he's, he's trying to make a defense. Listen, I have a right to talk to you the way I'm talking to you. I am a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. I have a special vocation, a special calling by God, therefore giving me the right and the authority to say what I'm saying to you. And I am offering up to God this very special offering, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, these Gentiles, as I proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to them, and they are saved and redeemed by God. But this boasting I do is legitimate because it is a boasting in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is the one who's doing this work through me. Uh, Paul wanting to further, watch, Paul wanting to further clarify or explain this boasting adds this statement in verse 18. Look back at the text. For, for, you can understand that as let me explain. Okay? So I just said what I said, now let me explain. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. Another translation puts it this way, I like this, for I will not dare to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Except that. And that's exactly what he was doing in order to bring about the obedience of the Gentiles. So, a few uh, commentators' remarks on this passage and what Paul's doing here. One writer puts it this way, the success of Paul's ministry is due entirely to divine enablement. Christ is the active worker in the things of which Paul is speaking. Paul is simply the instrument. He's boasting in Christ. Another writer says this, Paul will glory only in what Christ has done through him. He is sure that Christ has done great things through him, and he is glad that he can draw attention to those things, which is what he's doing. But he is not trying to attract adulation or adoration or praise. It is to himself. It is what Christ has done that is his theme. Now the writer says this, Paul took no credit for himself. He was not boasting in what he accomplished as an apostle, but only in what Christ had accomplished through him. And finally, another writer says, Paul is only the instrument by which God brings Gentiles to obey him in faith and life. Christ is the one ultimately responsible as he continues to work through his servant. This relationship means not only that the glory goes to the Savior, but also that as the minister of Christ, Paul must depend on him 
for everything that is accomplished in connection with his mission. Paul is consistent, beloved, in this regard. You might remember this passage when he wrote to the church in Corinth that was having some divisiveness and getting worked up about what person uh, they were a part of, what particular teacher or instructor of God's word or apostle that they were, they would say, I'm with this guy. And the other one would go, oh, you're with that guy? We're with this, this guy because this guy's uh, more important than this guy. So he addresses this divisiveness and foolishness really in chapter 3, verse 3 of 1 Corinthians. And he says there, for while, while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? He answers, servants, from whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each, to each his task. I planted, Apollos watered. What's it say? But God gave the growth. And again, I love this final statement. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is what? Anything. They're just servants of the Most High God who's accomplishing his purposes through these rusty instruments. But only God who gives the growth. That's the one who is something. God is doing his work through us. To him should be all the praise and adoration and and glory and credit. Beloved, Paul's boasting in Romans, which is is consistent. This boast that he has is consistent with Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17, where he's quoting from the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, and he says there, let the one who boasts, what? Boast in the Lord. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Commenting on that passage, one writer says this, I found this to be helpful. Boasting is illegitimate. Whether it be of one's own accomplishments or status, as we find in 1 Corinthians one thirty-one, or of another person's achievements as though they were one's own, like taking credit for someone else's achievements. Oh, they're only that because of me, that kind of idea. For the Christian, only boasting in the Lord is legitimate. That is, boasting of what Jesus Christ has done for him. Right. So Galatians 6.14, Paul says, I will not boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ, or through him, as we just saw Romans 15. And also you see it in Acts 14.27. When they came back and gave the report, they just begin to talk about all that God had done and all that God had accomplished. Never once did they say, look what we did, man, we're awesome. Or can do through him. And uh, one writer just pointed out that the thought of uh, self-glory was repugnant or offensive or revolting to Paul. It was revolting. Uh, he boasted only in the Lord, and he's making that very clear trying to make that clear in his concluding remarks here. Although I'm giving you a strong defense for why I have every right to talk to you, I want you to know, and what God has done among me is uh, through me for the Gentiles is amazing. It, that boast is a boast in the Lord. Don't, you, know, you need to be clear about that. It's what he has done and accomplished because I would dare not speak of anything except what he is doing through me. 
but what he is doing through me is a great and mighty thing, and he has made me, by his grace, an apostle, giving me the right to speak to you. It's a humbling, it's a boast, but it's also a humble and uh, uh, correct and proper and legitimate use of boast. He's boasting in the Lord. So, beloved, the thought of self-glory was repugnant to Paul. Is it repugnant to you? Is it offensive? Is it revolting to you? I'm I, I, careful to bring up sometimes a cultural, pop-cultural things because you know, 30 years from now, no one will know who I'm talking about. But if I say Apostle Paul, then you'll still know. But you know, I, I thought of like Kane West. Kanye, sorry, Kanye West. That's how good I am with pop culture. I thought of that man, Kanye West, man. And if you don't follow him, great, that's fine. And don't, don't go even go look him up. But it's just a, a man who is really uh, blinded and caught up in his own stuff, ego and self-glory. Uh, you know, I know he recently apologized. I don't know how long that will last on Twitter for some other stuff that he's uh, done. And, 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 I mean, he basically thinks he's, he's all that and a bag of chips and every other bag on the aisle and even, you know, greater than the Apostle Paul, greater than some incredible artist. Um, but let's just set him aside for a second, you know, because it's easy to target someone who's out there and, and say, oh, look how terrible that is. It's easy to do that. I, you know, this is what Christians, I find, do. Oh, he's so, he's, look at that, that's rotten. And yet then they don't pay attention to any of their own love of self-glory. I mean, you should pray for that man. That's what you should do. You should pray for him. He needs Jesus Christ. But for those of us who have Jesus Christ, hello. We certainly shouldn't be glorying in ourselves, right? That's, that's the Apostle Paul. That's something we can learn. He, he was given God the glory because he's do it. He is do it. So even the good stuff that was happening through Paul and in Paul's life and in his ministry, right? You can say, look at me, man. I am just, I'm the cat's meow. He said, man, Look what Christ is doing through me. Look what he has done. That's all. That's, I'm going to refrain from speaking about anything else except that because I want my life to bring honor to him, not to me. Huh? Sin turns things upside down, beloved. It, it works itself out in all of us and through us when we, when we foolishly attempt to take to ourselves the glory or honor or credit that is due the Lord. Like the Apostle Paul, may our boast always be in the Lord Jesus Christ, and may we give him the credit that he is due. And let me just close with this. In that regard, let me say or give just a moment of boasting in Christ concerning salvation. Concerning salvation. Maybe you're here today, beloved, and you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and and I want to say something to you. You'll never get to heaven by your own effort. And yet, what I just said is what many religions teach. You'll never get to heaven by your own effort. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be bright enough. You'll never be smart enough, morally right, upright enough. Never, ever. There's nothing you can do. No hill you can climb. No sacrifice you can make that will make you right with God. And yet because we want to self-glory, we desire it. 
we stupidly seek out a religion that says, yes, you can. You can do it. You can get to heaven. You can make it there on your own, through your own efforts. Or, yeah, it's Christ, but it's also your efforts that get you to heaven. So Jesus gets you halfway there. You've got to get yourself the other half of the way there. Or even 99%, but you've got to kick in 1%. Because we are so in love with self-glory. Let me boast in Christ. It's 0% for you, beloved. And it is 100% Jesus Christ that makes us right before God. It enables us to stand before the righteous one as sinners, defiled before him. It is Jesus Christ alone. It is God's grace alone that opens the eyes of a sinner and enables them to see that they are in need of this salvation and they are unable to achieve it on their own. There is nothing that they can do. They stand flattened before God. They are defiled before this Holy One. They are guilty and deserving of the punishment for their sin. that God will pour out on all those who refuse to turn to Christ and trust in Him and Him alone. Huh? God opens a sinner's eyes. He grants them the faith to believe. He provides the Son of God, Jesus Christ, to take away all their sins as on that cross, He there dies for them, taking their punishment in full. In full. He didn't do it 99%. He didn't say, okay, all right, but you got to make up for the rest of your sins or this portion of your sins. I'll do my part. You do your part. That's not 100% credit to Christ. That's self-glory. That's what that is. That's why these religions continue to prosper because it just fits man in his fallenness. He loves it. Tell me how I can get to heaven by doing something by achieving something so that when I get there, I can say, look at me, look what I did, look what I accomplished. No, that's not Christianity. Nope. No, Christianity will be just this. He who boasts will be boasting in the Lord. He who boasts will be boasting in Christ. He who is standing in heaven for all eternity will just simply be saying, I don't belong here, I don't deserve to be here, I am only here because of the grace of God and the work of Jesus Christ on my behalf. That's the only reason I'm here. And I, by His grace, was able to look to Him and to believe in Him and to put my whole hope and trust and faith in Him. And beloved, if you're here and you haven't done that, you need to do it. You need to do it. You know that uh, Terry was talking about that, that basketball coach, coach, assistant coach of the Thunder? I think his wife was 42, I think. I, I could be wrong. She's young. She's young. The person that hit her was doing 90, crossed over, boom, dead. They got five kids. Uh, they certainly didn't anticipate any of that. Beloved, they didn't, I mean, I, for, not for a moment would they think that, you know, she'd go out that day and be killed in a car accident. And you should, I'm telling you, you should listen to it. It's powerful. That man made a powerful, 
powerful statement about the power of Christ and forgiveness and all that. But I only say that to say this. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know. This is not like a, oh, you're just saying that to scare me. Yeah, okay, I am. I am saying that to scare you because you should be scared. You should be afraid. If you don't know Jesus Christ and you pass from this life, there's no second chances. There's no do-overs. There's no mulligans. There's none of that. This is it. This is your chance to turn to Jesus Christ and put your faith and hope in him. So if you're here, if you're here and you haven't done that, there will be men standing up here at the end of this service who want to talk to you, who want to lead you to Jesus Christ. Come up here and hear that truth and be saved. I pray you'll do that. I pray you'll do that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord God, we thank you for your word. And Father, I pray we will. I pray that these concluding remarks by Paul will not just, just oh, let's get through these. I pray that we could really just take some time to consider these things and, and the lessons that they would have for us. But Father, as we concluded here, Paul's boast, man, he says, I, I dare not speak about anything except what Christ has accomplished in me. He's, he's looking to you, Father. He's looking to Jesus Christ. He's, he's, he's praising him and, and giving him adoration, all due to him, because he deserves it. There's nothing good in our lives apart from you, Father, and the work that you're doing. And, and the greatest thing ever, Father, is our salvation. Unbelievable, and we owe it all to you. And Father, there is no doubt in my mind that there are folks here that have yet, they have yet to really turn to Jesus Christ in saving faith. So I pray they would do it. That they would do it and then they too can give all glory to you. They too could then boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. They too could know exactly what the Apostle Paul was talking about. That kind of salvation changes you forever. You realize you are nothing, and God, you are everything. You are life. You are life. And I pray some who don't have that life would find it today in you. For your glory, God. We pray in Jesus' name.